everybody, and welcome to another episode of Opposites React. It is March 31st, 2021, episode 62. I am Sarah, and I am here with Tyler. How's it going? I'm good, uh, but I am also a little anxious. What's the word? Impatient. I only could imagine why. I've only heard about it all day, plus all week. Well, there's a, there's a caveat. There's a silver lining to this, right? So... Because obviously we're recording this today on March 31st. So tomorrow being April 1st is the opening day of Major League Baseball. Joke's on you. What does that mean? It's April 1st. Oh, <laughs> I didn't catch that. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> uh, so I'm very excited to watch baseball tomorrow. Very happy baseball is back. Uh, and as you know, obviously we're a little more than two weeks away from MLB The Show 21 coming out on April 16th. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a good baseball month of April. I am so excited. And we did the... The baseball draft this week, too. That was fun. Yeah. Yes. Very fun. My team is amazing. Mm. It's okay. You can think it that. It has Chris Archer on it. It makes it oh amazing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, maybe eight years ago. That would have been a good thing. Don't but... worry. It's a comeback year for him. Uh-huh. That's all I care about. Okay. I got him, and he makes my team. He's the anchor. <laughs> so, uh, before we get into our topic this week, obviously, is there anything you want to kind of voice your thoughts about? Any Anything you want to discuss? Nope. Nothing you really watched or played recently that's um I don't out. think I've played a game in a week and a half. Yeah, you've been pretty preoccupied with work lately. You've been busy. Yeah. And, uh, I turned on Animal Crossing twice. <laughs> that's it. And then I got really annoyed that it's the um the Easter egg hunt again. And um I am breaking a lot of shovels because there's so many eggs to pick up from the ground. So that's all I've done, literally. You Anything crazy? Uh, no, nothing special for me gaming wise. Um, like I said, obviously I, last week I mentioned I'd watched that Justice League, oh, uh, Snyder, Snyder, cut. Snyder cut last week. I have a few other things I've added to the Crave watch list. Actually, mm. a couple things I'm in the middle of right now. I never got around to finishing that Spider Man movie I was watching the other oh, day. Right. So I got about half an hour to go on that. Uh, a couple other things that I put on the Crave list to watch. So yeah, only a little bit of use out of that subscription before it the month is up. I won't renew it right away unless something else catches my attention. Yeah, but again, I don't think that's going to be on the Canadian side. We'll see. Just like Godzilla. But anyways, uh, we have an email here. Mm-hmm. I'd like to read that before we get into our topic this week. So our email is from Daniel. Long time listener. <laughs> Multiple. Uh... Long time, not first time. <laughs> <laughs> He's given us some emails before and we appreciate it. So he commenting. he's commenting on... Uh, our last episode, which for those who maybe you didn't listen to, it was about video games and our pet peeves about video mm-hmm. games. So Dan's email says, hello, love this episode. When both of you come together on an episode and both of you get worked up over things <laughs> you are both passionate about is the best. He says, my biggest pet peeve about video games are always the intro credits. Mm. He says, I don't want to sit there and watch intro credits just so that the 12 different studios can have their recognition and won't let you skip them. That's fair, especially if it's a game you play. Like... Thankfully, when I play MLB and Apex, there are, there's like one credit basically for the studio. Mm-hmm. So it only takes me like 10 or 15 seconds to load in. But I know what he's talking about. There's some games where there's multiple yeah, for sure. Like, developers. And- I totally understand where he's coming from. That's why I leave games on all the time. It's why I never close Animal Crossing because I don't want to wait for it to start up every time. And that's why I love the feature of the new Xbox where you can suspend like four or five games. So I never have to see the starting credits because I'm already in the middle of it when I switch back to it. It's lovely. That's a good point. He also says in his email, I can understand the first time you play the game, 
to make you watch all the intros and, and what studios help make the games. But my 100th time playing this game, I don't need to sit there for three minutes just to watch the intro credits. <laughs> that was my rant. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate that. Today's topic, for those who maybe didn't catch the podcast last week, uh, we're going to be talking about a specific actor in the in this episode. Um, one Probably one of my favorite I, I don't really like the term character actor because it, it's what's used in this case. If you look at this gentleman's Wikipedia page, he is defined as a character actor. But I feel like those kind of designations are not giving the person enough credit because that's something you usually give a designation to somebody who like appears in a lot of TV shows, like a guest star or someone who's in, you know, just like in and out of series, like someone oh. who, like someone you recognize, like they show up and they do a good job, but not like a star, you know, that's a character actor. Whereas oh. this guy, I think is a star. I, I feel a character actor is like a chameleon, like they can take on anybody. That that too. Yes, you're right. It's it's someone that can be, it's flexible in multiple roles. And, uh, and that's why they get so much work because right. they're, they're able to adapt to so many different um, um, opportunities and 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 uh, I think right now what the word I'm looking for is uh, <laughs> people to portray or you know uh, personas to take on. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, so in this case, the actor we're talking about. Um, now the name. I'm first. I'm going to throw the name at you, and I'm going to try and engage your reaction. Oh, I'm going to throw the name at you, and I'm going to. And if you know who I'm talking about, I want you to tell me just what the first thing that comes to your mind of what that person is, whether it's a movie or a character or whatever. So the actor I'm talking about in this case. Is Philip Seymour Hoffman? Oh, I I know the name. You know the name. That's it. Can you picture the face or no? no? Okay, you don't know of any. Can't no. think of any. Okay, off the top of your head. All right. Mm-mm. So let me just bring up the background here for a second. So before we get into his roles, and there are his many many movies he's done that I enjoy. There's there's many there's there's very few of his roles I didn't enjoy, and if and if I didn't enjoy the uh, the movie, it probably was no through no fault of his own. But in this case, uh, so unfortunately, what we're going to start with, and most people who know what I'm talking about already know this, but he he did pass away. I can't believe actually it's already been seven years. He passed away in February 2nd of 2014. Doesn't feel like that long ago. Uh, yeah, so February 2nd, 2014, he passed away at the age of 46. He was found dead in the bathroom of his apartment, found by a friend, probably someone who went to check up on him or he wasn't mm-hmm. responding to his phone or whatever. Um, cops found heroin and prescription medications at the scene and the death was ruled an accidental overdose. Oh. So. Um, he did have a little history of drug use. Um, nothing like, you know, he wasn't like, you know, in and out of rehab or I don't think he ever actually got arrested for anything, but it was just kind of known that he did like recreational drugs on the side. Okay. But obviously in this case, it, there, like, there's no note. So no one thinks that this was like a suicide oh, or thing. Okay. It was just probably he took a bunch of meds and maybe he just well, thought. Well, same with Heath Ledger though. True. No one, yeah, exactly. Right. So it just happened. And unfortunately, this is something else interesting I learned looking up uh, uh, Philip's history today, but because um, he was a guy who was. Like he like he, he liked doing inter- press interviews and he was always, you know, available for for films and stuff. But I, he was never like a guy that was like in the media for like family mm, stuff. Okay. So honestly, I didn't even know he like he was married and he had three kids. Oh, okay. So um, you know, he, he he didn't put that part of his public image out there, which is fine. You know, mm-hmm. that's you know, not everybody does that, right? And like I said, he's his name is probably recognized. When people saw his face, they would know exactly who I'm talking about. You you've seen him in a movie before, even if you don't know who I'm talking about. But yeah, he's not like an A list star because he didn't go after those big blockbuster roles and. You know, he he wasn't like, you know, he didn't have the body type of like a typical Hollywood star. You know, he's not a Brad Pitt or a Tom Cruise. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a No, no, he's, he's, a, little, I'd say he's a little chubby, if anything. He's, oh, okay. he's, a, he's a normal looking guy. I mean, he's just, yeah, uh, he's always been that way ever since he. So his um, his acting credits go back to the early 90s. Okay. For me personally, um, he, started, he sort of started to gain track, gain some, some traction, some uh, prestige in the late 90s. And a lot of that had to do with working with. Uh, the same director. He did actually, I think, 
trying to think off the top of my head here, four, five. I think he did five different films with this one director. Uh, the director is Paul Thomas Anderson. He's a great director. He, um, something like in terms of recent recent film you might know of his would be like There Will Be Blood. Okay, he wasn't yeah. in that one, but but that was a very prestigious movie. Well, yeah, and but his his movies are always well critically acclaimed. He's he's a great director, but again, he's not like he doesn't do like big blockbuster movies. You know, it's like small budgets characters movies kind of thing. So, okay, but in this case, so so I kind of broke down uh, Phillips. I'm gonna call him Philip instead of I don't think everybody anybody ever called him Phil. So Philip, um, break down his filmography here by just ye- certain years or certain films that I really enjoyed of his. Like I said, overall I don't know his filmography is probably like thirty or forty films. I think I picked out about fifteen or so here that I really enjoy. So if we're going chronologic here, so going back to the nineties, um, he got his he got his first kind of big breakout role or noticeable role, I guess you could say, in a movie called Hard Eight, and that was a Paul Thomas Anderson one. Okay. He had a small role in that one. He wasn't like a main character or anything, but um, then he was in uh, Twister. Remember the movie Twister? I remember <laughs> the movie Twister, yeah. <laughs> he played one of the Storm Chaser guys. He was sort of like the goofball of the, uh, of the, bunch. the team. Because he, he, that's the thing, and I, as I go over these roles, you'll see he had so, the thing I liked about him is he had so much range. Mm-hmm. Like he could play funny, he started his career actually as kind of a funny guy. He did a lot of comedy roles or as a sidekick type thing. Um, but then later on when he got into drama stuff, like he could be, he could be funny, he could be uh, like scary like as a villain he could be intimidating uh even just like as a normal everyday guy um but he just has so much range and it's funny because when you read so many things like when he passed away there were so many people who were like that came out and just said oh my gosh like what a tragedy for the industry like he was such a nice guy everybody loved him on set and off set you know he wasn't like some you know jerk egotistical <laughs> you know all over like you know method actor who's like so serious on set all the time right. and just like leave me alone kind of thing he wasn't like that at all apparently he's like a super nice guy um and everybody like everybody had nice things to say about him so anyways um going back to the side of the 90s so after twister um he had another prominent role in a movie called boogie nights i know the name of that one yeah, yeah. that's another paul thomas anderson one uh then after that he had a small role in the big lebowski but it was of funny course. you just want to bring that movie up anytime wow. you can he was great in that movie though um patch adams do you remember oh robin my, williams? that's robin williams yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um the talented mr ripley oh or, yeah that's um matt damon yeah matt damon and jude law yeah yep. Uh, and then Magnolia to cap out the the nineties here. Magnolia is another Paul Thomas Anderson film. My goodness. Whereas, uh, where again, Philip was really good in this movie. Um, going into the two uh, thousands here. Uh, sorry, another Paul Thomas Anderson movie here, <laughs> but uh, Punch Drunk Love. Oh, it's actually almost I've heard of. That's actually one of Adam Sandler's more acclaimed <gasps> roles. It was one where it wasn't a comedy. It was right. one of Sandler's serious roles, and Philip Seymour Hoffman kind of played. I'm not gonna say like the villain of the movie, but sort of like Sandler's arch nemesis throughout the film. Mm-hmm. They get tangled up throughout the plot but um 25th hour was a spike lee movie okay that uh again philip was great in i thought uh and then where he really started to catch you know as if he wasn't already known by this point obviously mm-hmm. when he got sort of more prestige and critical acclaim uh a movie called capote i it's don't know that based on it well he played the role based on a true story of truman capote capote was uh he's an author that, so he's played, so Phil's playing the role of an author who he goes to basically. Uh, I think Capote goes to jail to interview this guy who's been accused of you know the, the, this murder or multiple murders. Yeah, multiple murders. Um, and it's sort of so the movie sort of becomes like an investigative. You know, is this guy in jail really the culprit or was he framed or? Mm-hmm. But anyways, but something about Capote. Anybody who ever seen, like I'm sure there's clips on YouTube. Anybody who ever seen Capote speak in real life or heard him speak? He had a very very odd way of speaking like his his voice was so hard to replicate and and like phil nailed it and it's like 
there's been other films about Capote and other people who have played him have done a decent job and like that's probably the reason why Philip won this Oscar because he not only personified the look of Truman Capote but the voice was like iconically spot on. Interesting. Um, yeah. So looking at that, look at look that up and you'll just you'll you'll, you'll see exactly why he won the Oscar. But um, he was nominated three more times hmm. for Oscars in his career a- after that. Um, all for great roles, and honestly, I think he should have won two of them. But again, I don't know what his competition was in those years, so I can't say. But um, going back to my was list it two thousand seven? Exactly. You know, here, it's funny you say that. Cause we're we're going to get to that in a second. Okay, so here's so after Capote, which I think was 05, After Capote, um, he was the villain in Mission Impossible three. Oh, okay, that's a fun yeah, one. Yeah, opposite Tom Cruise, obviously, and and he was great. This was one time I mean, he's shown this a little bit in some of his other roles, but this is the first time where Philip could actually be like evil and like come across as like uh i don't want to say unhinged because his character was very in control as a villain in mission Impossible. he was just very evil but he always had a plan he wasn't just like some crazy you know mm-hmm. like uh not james bond i was looking for like a awesome powers type villain yeah, like over yeah, the top yeah. kind of thing no Much like he was wrong with dr evil no he, he was a great villain he's probably one of the best villains in the mission impossible franchise wow okay. yeah i give him that much credit um now after that since you brought it up he did three movies in 2007 three and all three of them I think, in my opinion, it could be some of his best work. Jeez, he like, had an amazing like, year. Like, 07 was his year, in my opinion. So, Jeez. I'm not sure if this was the order they were releasing chronologically, but I just wrote these three down. So, the first one is called The Savages. Okay. And uh, I think he, I showed you that movie a long time ago. You probably remember it. But nope. it's a movie about, um, so him and his sister, um, it's a movie about them dealing with, um, like, they're, you know, in their, I don't know, 40s, let's just say. I think the characters are in their 40s, him and his sister. And it's about them, like, trying to deal with their aging father, who they have to put him in a home. And it's like it's a family drama type film. There's a lot going on in hit bond uh, on Philip's background, his character, and how he's dealing with you know being. Uh, I think he's a. I don't know. I can't remember if he's a struggling author or a teacher or something. And he has like a, a European girlfriend who stays with him in the U.S. And okay. there's a whole like subplot with that. But it's more about just the dynamic between him and his sister and them dealing with their father and and going back to their childhood and how they were raised by their father and stuff. It's a really great film. Great drama that no one ever talks about. I think very underappreciated film. And it's called The Savages, just so you know, because <laughs> there is a movie out there that came out, I think, about eight or nine years ago called just called Savages. It's a very different type of movie. <laughs> so if you're looking for The Savages, then you'll know. Um, next, um, uh, this movie is called Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. I think it's a great film. One of my favorite films of the last, like, 20 years. Um, it's another, I guess you'd call it a drama. I don't want to say slash thriller. It's just a drama. But... <laughs> Basically, long story short, it's got a great cast too, by the way. But Philip definitely carries this movie, and he so he plays him and Ethan Hawke are brothers in the movie. Uh, I think Philip's character is the older brother, and their plan basically they're both they both have financial troubles, one because of debts, and one because I think he's like defrauding his company or something. Okay. So they're, they're both in issues for separate financial reasons. But Philip's comes up with the idea too with his brother Ethan Hawke too. They're going to rob their family's jewelry store. Their family has a jewelry store in like a little strip mall. And they're like, we're gonna, we'll rob the jewelry store. Like, don't worry, mom and dad have insurance. Like, they'll be fine, right? <laughs> and Ethan, Ethan, who's like the more, who was, his character was the more like um, paranoid of the brothers, was like, well, yeah, but is it, you know, I, I can't show my face around because people will recognize us if we go and do it. Even you know, of course, they could have worn ski masks or something, but they were worried about being recognized. So they, so Philip says, we'll just get someone to go with you, like hire someone you know 
to go with you and do the job, right? Like the the idea was they were gonna they're gonna do these they were gonna go in because they know like they've worked at the store before, so they know the alarm protocols, you know where the mm. safes are, they know how to do everything efficiently, right? And their parents weren't their mom usually work at the store, but their mom wasn't supposed to be there that day. They have some other older woman that would work at the store, so like it's an easy job. Like, you go in, put the lady locker in the back door in the bathroom or something, rob the place and get out, right? So unfortunately, where it goes sideways is and these are minor spoilers because this happens like right at the beginning of the film pretty much, but. When Ethan goes with this other guy, who I think is like a coworker of his, who like had a prior criminal history, he brings him along for this for this uh, heist, and um, he didn't know this other guy was gonna bring a gun. Uh oh! But the guy's like, "Don't worry, I'm not gonna shoot anybody. It's just to scare them, right? right?" So, and of course, the where it gets worse from that is so Ethan just stays in the car as like the getaway driver, and the other guy goes into the store into the jewelry store to rob it. And their mom was working that day because oh. the other lady called in sick. Oh, so sure no. enough, the mom triggers the alarm. The guy shoots her. They have a little shoot because she shoots him with a gun under the counter. And he shoots oh. her. So the whole thing goes sideways. So now it's like they didn't get they didn't get away with the the, the, the job. Money. Obviously, the heist. Their mom is dead, and now the brothers are still having financial troubles and trying to figure out how to get out of this and trying to cover up that they were involved in this. Mm-hmm. You know, because their dad suspects that one of them had something to do with it. Oh, More shit. Phillips brother than than Ethan, but um, it's a great film though. That that's just the basic premise to start up, and then there's also like a subplot because like I think. Ethan was like sleeping with Philip's wife in the film. Oh so they got the gosh. whole, there's a whole lot of family drama going on. But, um, like, Phil has, Philip has a theater background too. Okay. As most actors do, obviously. They dabble in theater and film. Um, and you can tell in this movie, this movie feels like a play. It really does. Uh, it's a lot of just scenes with actors one on one, a lot of small set locations. It's not a huge, like I said, blockbuster type film. But yeah, this movie, Phil really just shines as he. Because he's yeah, just the stress getting to him. He has so many like outbursts in this movie, and that's the thing I like about him too. And a lot, and a lot of these roles that I like him in is he, in my opinion, is one of the best actors I've ever seen at not only expressing emotion but expressing anger and 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 just like, in my opinion, he's he's one of the best swearers I've ever heard. Swear, and it's that's and, a compliment. Yeah, that's a weird compliment. He, just the way he swears is so like vicious and like I don't know, it, but it feels authentic. You know, if anyone who's ever had like a just that you know outburst of rage and like it doesn't feel like you know when you're watching like a uh joe pesci or robert de niro swearing at each other back and forth in a scorsese film like that's entertaining it's like high school but right <laughs> but when i don't know maybe it's just because like it's kind of rare like you know he's not just constantly dropping f-bombs in his films but when philip swears or gets angry he just has these moments of rage and you're just like just it just feels so real and um honestly there's one of his last roles he did before he passed away uh which i'll get to later I think he literally only drops one f bomb in the whole movie, but it's like right near the end of the movie, and it's like one of my favorite scenes of his because it just culminates this whole arc of the movie, like what he's going through, and I don't know, he's just it's yeah, he's he's just so entertaining. <laughs> this and, is why he's memorable. No, 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 I'm not saying, but no, it stands out as just like. You know, you watch certain actors swear and it's just, you know, become, become, becomes well, becomes part of their character and you just sort of like, you know, but when people do it so rarely that it, it just becomes more memorable to me. But anyways, um, <laughs> and next, uh, now this one you will know from 2007, um, Charlie Wilson's War. Remember that one? I do know. That is Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts. Yep. So in this movie, like Tom Hanks plays the politician, yeah, Charlie yeah, Wilson, yeah. and um, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays the guy who works for the CIA. Yeah, and they sort okay. of they, they come up with this plan together too. It's based on a true story. They come up with this plan to um, sort of like secretly um, fund the Iraqis so they can help. Mm. Uh, this was obviously like before nine eleven and everything. And, and the movie kind of leads into why this was a bad idea because it almost helped the Iraqis and the Afghanistan's get more munitions for nine eleven type thing. But that's going more deeper down the rabbit hole. But at its dynamic, it's it's almost like a buddy movie. Like they play off each other mm. really well. 
Um, and he, and again, if you want, if you want an example of what I'm, what I'm saying about Philip being one of the best swearers ever, just go on YouTube and watch his intro scene to this movie where he has like a four minute scene where he's yelling at a CIA director. That's literally his introduction to the movie. His character is him swearing at a guy, a CIA guy, and then threatening him and getting away with it because he's just, he knows he can't be touched because that's just how powerful he is in the movie as, as a CIA, um, agent. But yeah, it's a great role. And, um, like I said, that, that, those three movies, um, yeah, 2007. Great year for him, seriously. Busy, busy. Uh, after that, I think it was actually the year after, in 2008, he had another Oscar-nominated role. Um, this one, I think, is based on a play, um, which was obviously turned into a screenplay and into a film, but the movie is called Doubt. And in the movie, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays a uh, priest, Catholic priest, who is accused of uh, inappropriate conduct with an altar boy or something. Okay. And the whole movie is about... like. You never really know what happened. Like, you know, you, you kind of, you want to believe Philip because his character is so charming in the film and he's, and again, I think that's part of, part of the point they're portraying with priests is that, you know, they can make you believe that they're innocent, even if they might not be. But the movie never explicitly says whether he did or didn't do this inappropriate conduct. But the the main point of the movie is um, that he's go, he's always going head to head with Meryl Streep, who's also, uh, she's a nun in the movie. Okay. And she's the one who suspects him of having the inappropriate conduct. And she accused him multiple times. And they have these huge blow up fights, the two of them. And it's like, it's so rare, especially later in his career at this point, to see someone actually that can actually go toe to toe with Philip in an argument. Like, he usually overpowers everybody I've seen in films, even, like, when he's playing off Tom Hanks a little bit. But in this case, like, Meryl Streep is just that type of actress that can go toe-to-toe with him and make you feel like, okay, he's actually probably going to lose this fight because <laughs> she's just that crazy or she strong. Super Saiyan. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, but, yeah, that was a great great role of his as well. Uh, uh, he definitely deserved the nomination. Um, uh, you remember he was in Moneyball? You remember his role in Moneyball? No. He was the manager of the team. Was he really? Him and Brad Pitt go toe to toe on the lineup. That's probably the stuff. only yeah. role I can picture him in. Then, <laughs> yeah. So he played. He played Art Howe in yeah. the real life, the, the manager of the Oakland A's during the whole Moneyball uh, saga. I don't like him. He was a bad manager. <laughs> the funny thing is, too, I, I remember watching some behind the scenes stuff. Apparently, a lot of because he, he didn't have a lot of scenes or lines no. in the movie, and it's not that his scenes were cut out or anything. He just wasn't. The movie is about Brad Pitt. Yeah, but. Apparently, Philip Seymour Hoffman actually ad-libbed a lot of lines in that movie. And there's a few times in the movie where you see Brad Pitt laughing or trying not to laugh because he's Philip's just that good at getting a reaction out of him. But they still left it in the movie because it felt in care in tune with his character. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's great. Uh, and then his this is probably his last great role before he passed. He did a couple of the good roles after this, obviously. But in terms of like being like Oscar nominated or critically acclaimed, he did a movie. I think it was in 2012 called The Master, and that's when he played opposite Joaquin Phoenix. And this was another Paul Thomas Anderson, his last movie with Paul Thomas Anderson, where he played. It's kind of ba- it's um the movie is kind of loosely based on it's like Scientology. So Philip Seymour Hoffman is supposed to be this guy who's like leading this Scientology cult, and because again he's just so charismatic and so charming, you really buy into it, even though you know it's kind of BS. Right. <laughs> but that's kind of the part of the point of the movie is that he's just that's how most of these probably Scientologists are, at just being so good at drawing in. They're very good at marketing people to the cause, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was great in that movie. And again, that's I think that's when he, he should have won an Oscar for that one. I can't remember if Joaquin won. He was definitely nominated for that one. But they were both great in that movie. Um, what was that one called? Sorry, The Master. The Master. Yeah. And then uh, the the last uh, really good role, in my opinion, that he uh, he wasn't nominated for anything. But uh, the one I was kind of referencing earlier, mm-hmm. uh, it's called a it's called a Most Wanted Man, and he plays. He didn't do a lot of accents in his career. Uh, in this case, though, he does play a, a German. It, the movie is, is in English, not subtitled or anything, but he's, it's based on a true story, I think. So he's playing a German 
like a German operative, like a German, whatever the equivalent of a German CIA person probably is. And it's, it's all about like a undercover operation. And it's the movie says drama. It's a very slow drama. I think it's probably based on a book. So maybe not a true story. Maybe it's based on a book. I honestly can't remember. Sorry. But uh, he was great in the role. And it's like I said, he pulled off the German accent really well, I thought. Um, didn't feel phony to me or overplayed. But, and this is that one where, like I said, at the end of the movie, after all he goes through and then this operation goes bad and he's just, he sees it all go down. He realizes he got screwed over by the American, like CIA or whatever. And he just lets out this one F-bomb that's just like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's just, because he's so mild-mannered in the movie. Okay. And, what you're saying about swearing yeah. kind of reminds me about watching The Witcher with you and every, like, he, Geralt would swear like one time yeah. per episode, but it was so well done. Right, right. <laughs> okay, you know? I understand yeah. what you're saying. If swearing from now. is used sparingly, it can be very effective. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. If you hear it 200 times in like a Tarantino movie, it loses its effect, obviously. I understand. But when something is done and delivered so well like that, it's just, yeah, it's. Because you know, like the whole thing about like how PG 13 movies nowadays, you, you, can, get, you can get away with one F word. Okay. As long as it's not used in like a sexual connotation. Right. Like, for example, even in, like, like recently, uh, Tenet, you know, the Christopher yeah, Nolan yeah. film? Like, there was an F-bomb in that one. Oh, that surprises me. Is that his first movie that has one, probably? No, I think there was one in, um, not Interstellar. I don't think it was Inception, either. I know there was one or another. What else has he done besides, did Dunkirk have one? I can't remember. I, there has been one other instance in, in an Nolan movie. Maybe it was Interstellar. I honestly can't remember. PG-13 films can use that, that effectively so you as well. They, they get one time to use it. But uh, <laughs> anyways, going back. So his last sort of, I guess, Hollywood role or last n- most known role uh, would be he, he was in the last two Hunger Games movies, The Mockingjay, part one and two, because they had to do two parts. Who was he? He was Plutarch uh, Heavensby. Is that his name? Plut- I can't remember the exact name. Okay. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, like I said, and you know, like I said, he obviously passing away at the age of 46 and given where his career was sort of ascending to, I think he easily could have been, you know, one of the, the best actors of the, of his sorry, of, of, of the, yeah, of, of the decade or of the generation. Mm-hmm. Like he was, it's sad to think that, you know, we'll never get more out of him. I mean, not, not that his filmography already wasn't amazing, but, you know, the potential of more. I feel I keep saying this, but it seems like a a same kind of trajectory as um, Heath Ledger, though. Like they were both on an upward slope of their career. It's hard to compare because Heath Ledger was almost twenty years younger when he passed. Like Heath Ledger probably I know, had but, yeah. a lot more to offer, I guess you could say, just in terms of an overall filmography, right? Like, but, but yeah, they both could get very well get into the roles. Oh no, for sure. Yeah, they were both well known, well loved actors. Yeah. Who were sort of like in their prime or hitting their prime, and they both died apparently, or unfortunately, from drug use or an accidental drug overdose. So it is tragic. Um, but I, like I said, if if anybody hasn't heard of most of those movies I, I'd, I'd mentioned before, or wants to look them up, um, I mean, I, I think they're all worth the watch. Like I said, even if, even if you just want to focus on those three that I mentioned from 2007. <laughs> The, the yeah. year of the great Charlie Wilson's War, The Savages, and Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. All amazing films. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. He's uh, he's a guy that I can... Uh, if I watch any of these movies, in my opinion, any of these movies that I mentioned, he's probably the best part of those movies. Hmm. Like, with the exception of maybe Moneyball, because he didn't have a huge role. Obviously, Brad Pitt was great in Moneyball. But other than that, every other movie I mentioned, he's like the highlight for me. Even like Mission Impossible 3, as much as I love Tom Cruise, <laughs> like Hoffman was a great villain in that movie. And you wanted to see more of him. Like you wanted to see more of him on screen. Does um, he die at the end? Or Yeah, I mean, it's okay. a minor spoiler, but it's Mission Impossible 3 sold by now. Yeah, Tom Cruise does kill him. Okay, so they, there was no comeback. 
it's funny because they have a um him and, and Tom Cruise have sort of a fist fight near the end of the film and it's almost initially you're thinking it's gonna be unbelievable because Tom Cruise should probably kick, yeah. his, kick his butt right but they kind of weave into the plot this whole thing about Tom Cruise having this thing injected into his head and when, when Hoffman triggers the frequency on it mm. it sort of makes him like so Hoffman, what a good idea. So Hoffman starts beating the crap out of him <laughs> then of course Tom Cruise sees that his wife's about to die and he starts he goes all into Ethan Hunt mode and he's like oh screw this brain thing anymore I'm just gonna overpower Hoffman oh. and then he basically like ta- tackles him out into the street and then he gets run over by a car <laughs> so <laughs> it's still more believable than any plot thing for any Bond movie. There were any mismatches. True, true. Um, yeah. So, those are my thoughts on Philip Seymour Hoffman. Great actor. He's missed. Like I said, I didn't know it's already been seven years. It's crazy. I feel like it was only like three years ago. If you've seen any of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's movies and have any more comments or don't agree with Tyler, which is always fun too, you can email us at react at gmail.com. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> so uh, I have a feeling like I'm not going to commit to it 100%, oh but I feel gosh, like next no. week's episode is going no. to be something no baseball related. Yes, yeah. I couldn't <laughs> see that coming. Possibly. Oh, my gosh. You're just going to spew Blue Jays all podcast. He's not denying it. I'm He's smiling. Just you can't see me smiling, me. but I'm smiling. <laughs> I listened to it all day on the phone already. Do you remember this guy? Do you remember this guy? Do you remember this guy? Okay. Well, you, you can shut your door, you know. So you don't have I to... can hear you through the door. It doesn't help. And the funny thing is I just walk in here with my phone anyway and start I talking, know. so you can't avoid it. <laughs> Do you remember was it Saunders? Yes, I remember yeah, Saunders. Michael Saunders? Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, all you, want, all you want to talk about is Kawasaki. So because yeah. he is best. Yeah, we're, moving, we're past those days. No. Okay, we're moving on. This is why I have J-Hat. J.A. Hap. I know. But it you says J.A. Hap. It sound like J.A. Hap. It's not his name. <laughs> well, it is a letter J. And on my thing, it says letter J. Hap. All right, all so right, it's J. Hap, correct? Sure. I know it's J.A. <laughs> but tell my fantasy thing that. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll be back uh, same time next week. So hope you're staying safe out there. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.